The Start On Demand. On demand. The Banjo Bowl is almost here. Bombers and Riders, Saturday at IG Field. We will get not one, but two previews. First from Doug Brown, and then from Bob Irving. Also today, you're going to hear about meth, fentanyl, and the impact that drugs are having on newborns. And I've got something I have to get off my chest. I've mentioned it a couple of times in passing this week. I was looking for a couch. I needed to move. I moved from St. Boniface to Osborne Village, and some of you have been asking, didn't you just move? So I will explain the major life change that's happened to me in the last few weeks. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Friday, September 6th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Kelly Moore is here, Jeff Forte is here, and... And now, it's all, and that means only one thing. Oh boy, pumpkin spice latte. This is a whole season and a cup of coffee, isn't it? Yeah, pumpkin spice latte! It is now officially pumpkin spice latte time. Try to walk in and get a pumpkin spice in the summer, you can't get it. No, you can't! And the pumpkin spice latte, have you had it? Holy cow, that one sent me to the moon. You creamer loves pumpkin spice lattes! You know, I'm waiting for the pumpkin latte, and I'm trying to lose weight, so I had to stay away from it. The pumpkin latte. Shut up! Just drink it! Pumpkin spice latte! Just drink it. (laughs) Everybody loves it. That's from the John Oliver show. They love the pumpkin pumpkin spice latte phenomenon, and they love ragging on it too. Oh, really? Oh, yes, do, absolutely. Do they drink the pumpkin spice latte? No, they do not. It's okay. just uh, one of their little mini commercial breaks that they uh, implant within the program. So uh, we had to play that for you this morning. So you're the one who was curious about this. Uh, are you? Uh, have you tried it? No, because I don't drink coffee. But I tried the pumpkin spice donut. It's quite delightful. Hmm. And this sort of came out of the fact that we had a skunk, we figure, in the parking lot this no, morning. No, I don't figure. That, is, that was a okay. skunk. That skunk came and he stayed and he sprayed. It's or she. He or she <laughs> stayed and sprayed. Stayed and sprayed. And McNabb comes in the newsroom going, you know, I kind of like that smell. Oh, I love that smell. <laughs> yes. yes. No. Yes. Like, I don't want to be sprayed I by a skunk. I don't mind it either. And I, but I what? thought, it's, to me, it's also very seasonal. Like, oh, you smell geez. a skunk in the air, and you're like, ah, oh, fall is here. Oh. So now you know the process. We went from skunk <laughs> to pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> and I think there are people who see the two in the same vein, or you see them as diametric opposites. Yeah, I, I, I don't drink coffee either, so I have not tried pumpkin spice latte. I did mention that I've tried pumpkin spiced beer, which is actually pretty good. It's not something that I could drink. It's not like an all-night beer. You know, a lot of beers that are very heavily flavored, you have one and that's enough because it's usually beers that have heavy flavors also tend to be heavy beers. Uh, so I can't drink that. Jeff, Brian, would you try a pumpkin spice? beer? I don't like pumpkin spice. I don't like pumpkins, period, flavor-wise. I don't mind them as a jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. But I don't eat pumpkin pie, and I have to explain that to somebody once a year. It drives me nuts, but... People, people won't let you not like pumpkin pie. Why What's do you have wrong to with that? Explain it. Well, oh, what do you mean you don't want pumpkin pie here? Have a piece. I was like, 
if you put it in front of me, it won't be eaten. You're wasting a piece of pumpkin pie. <laughs> we actually, well, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why people don't go. And they're so grateful me. to have you at Thanksgiving <laughs> at that moment. I suggested uh, that I would eat it every day, pumpkin pie, and yeah. Loren says you I'm can have insane. <laughs> Andy says, I'm with Brett. Pumpkin pie is the best. I like it when it's still warm from the oven. Any day is a good day for pumpkin pie. And another listener saying, yes, pumpkin pie every day works for me as well. Bring it on. So there you go. I'd See, be happy I, I, to have it every day. I like pumpkin pie, but uh, I prefer like blueberry or apple pie. And I, oh, I can't, blueberry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Different people like different stuff. That's like I'll eat, I'll eat pumpkin news. pie, but it's not my like. <laughs> this is not top the news pie. segment. Yeah, <laughs> and so, I don't think I've ever had uh, pumpkin spice anything. Well, this is my it. problem with the pumpkin spice thing. It's not that the flavor is bad. It's that it's just like I've just googled pumpkin spice products. It's just gone too far. I was in the states a couple years ago. Girlfriend texts and like, she's, "Are you in Grand Forks? Can you pick me up some pumpkin spice uh, lip chap?" And I was like, "That's a thing." She's like, "Oh yeah, but they don't make it in Canada." Oh, and so I'm like, "With good reason." Wow, well, there's been uh, pumpkin spice Pringles, pumpkin spice hummus. Seriously, pump- I was gonna make a joke. Pumpkin spice chips. Pumpkin spice. KFC, a pumpkin spice latte burger. Like, and maybe this is not in Canada, but my, so that was the moment where I was like, okay, like, you've now taken what was a trend and just tried to infuse it into every single product to make a sale. It was a novelty, and now they've totally destroyed it, Kelly Moore. Yeah, well, it's like anything else. If something's popular, everybody's going to hop on that train. So I'm just waiting for them to come up with skunkin' spice. (laughs) Skunkin' spice. I I think they should, they should make that, uh, a vape thing for Brett, and then I could just follow him they around the do. building. <laughs> they do. It's called oh, marijuana. Vape juice? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. I'm Which Loren, may have been what happened in the parking lot. I'm Loren McNabb, the popular host of The Start, and join me in my new cologne, Skunk. 60% of the time. every time. <laughs> Someone wants a pumpkin spice cat litter. Oh, hey, anything to make cat litter yeah, smell better. Yeah. I like that. I'm down with that. Yeah. Pumpkin spice spam. Well, I think, well, I think we discussed thing. that, yeah. right? That's a yeah. thing. Only th- one thing worse than pumpkin spice spam, and that's spam flavored spam. spam. <laughs> yeah, Gary says any form of pumpkin spice coffee is ruining a perfectly good drink. That being said, the pumpkin yes, pie. Yes, Gary. Yes, Gary. He says that being said, the pumpkin pie soft serve ice cream from Sergeant Sunday. Oh, it is so good. Is pretty darn good. It he is says. really good. Yeah. Well, tell us how good, Greg. Oh my good, so good. I forgot they had it, and now I have to go there this afternoon. That's how good it is. Yeah, like I I I don't have a problem with the pumpkin spice thing. I think I'm with Ren. I think they pushed it a little too far. But anytime I've tried pumpkin spice stuff, I usually really like it. So I just kind of wonder like they rolled it out. August 27th, I think the pumpkin spice lattes arrived. Like usually, so I thought early. it was an oct- oct- October kind of thing. Yeah, but the, so the, when they launched it on August 27th, I thought, what? Like milking the cow, baby. Yeah, yeah. They're getting out ahead of it early. Yeah, it's like the stores that already have Christmas decorations in, and uh, you know, summertime they've already got the Halloween stuff. Every, every it's competitive out there. So if something is, they think something's going to resonate, they're all over it. So weigh in. We've put a poll on 680CJOB's Instagram story. You can cast your vote there. You can also text us, 204-780-6868. What do you think of the pumpkin spice craze? Or where would you like it to land next? You know, pumpkin Uh, spice, I don't know, cologne? Tacos. Tacos? Pumpkin spice tacos. (laughs) 
Is this a, an actual banjo? The head of the banjo bowl? Oh, there are so many tie-ins here. Crossing the highway late last night. Cruising down the road. Left and Wait. It look right. What's that smell? See the station wagon, oh. car. Something the in the ditch. Squashed <laughs> you got squashed. You got your dead skunk in the middle of the road. Dead skunk, skunk in the middle of the road. This is, is this like an actual song and yes. not some sort of parody? It was, on, to high it was actually on radio. Not as a novelty, well, it's sort of a novelty song, but it was, it sort of charted. Wow. Yeah. And why are we playing a song about skunks for those just tuning in, Lauren McNabb? We were talking about the divisive smells that we either love or hate. I hate pumpkin spice latte. But you love the smell of skunk. But I love the skunk. smell of skunk. <laughs> That is a strange contrast. But I appreciate the honesty. To be able to say, I hate pumpkin spice lattes, but I like skunk. That's uh, unique. But hey, who are we to disrespect uh, what you like or don't like? So you can weigh in at 204-780-6868. Somebody's sending us pictures of pumpkin spice products that they got from Fargo in 2017. Pumpkin spice Cheerios, pumpkin spice wafers. There's some sort of pumpkin spice, like a pastry swirl. Uh, pumpkin spice tea, I guess. And on and on. The list goes on. Oh, there's actually a wall of pumpkin spice cereal here. Special K, Life, Mini Wheats. Wow. So, pumpkin spice. obsession. You can weigh in 680CJOB Instagram. We've got a poll there. We would love for you to follow us there. Now, we got to switch gears. Should we ask our guest if uh, he likes the pumpkin spice? I think we should. Uh, although we got a pretty blunt answer, I think, last time we asked Doug Brown about <laughs> whether he liked something or not. Uh, what's better, skunk or pumpkin spice latte, Doug Brown? Uh, you know, I've never, I don't think I've ever had a pumpkin spice latte, so um, I don't think I'm one of their targeted demographics. That's that's my answer for that. So Doug I, is uh, going with skunk, is what he's saying. <laughs> he prefers the smell of skunk. <laughs> I, it'd be close. I, I can't take. <laughs> take a side, Doug. Come on. But, okay, I'll go with skunk. <laughs> I'm sure you uh, smelled a little bit of skunk on the way home from uh, Saskatchewan, uh, coming home to Winnipeg. Did you hear what uh, your former teammate Milt Steagle said with regard to this notion? Some people have that the Bombers are going to win this weekend because of how they lost in Regina last weekend. Because of how they lost. Well, oh, the fact that okay, they, you no. know, the, because the fact they showed up and they played fairly well and were in a position to win the yeah. game. You know, Milt says a loss is a loss is a loss. What do you say? Well, I say the Bombers are, are undefeated at home, so they obviously play uh, a little bit better there. And, and going into Saskatchewan and the Labor Day Classic, that's a very difficult environment to play in. Very uh, hostile scenario uh, for any football team, especially when they get that uh, that excited about their, their game. So um, the drive of shame out of Regina, I mean, that, that happens quite frequently after the Labor Day Classic. You just keep your head low in your car, but you manage. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, uh, a home-and-home home series, uh, they're always tough for any team to sweep two in a row. And uh, as I said, the Bombers are very good at home, and they should have a great crowd behind them, just like uh, Saskatchewan did. So it's, uh, you know, that's a, 
a reasonable expectation that they uh, kick it up another level and uh, secure a win, especially now that first place in the Western Division is on the line. Things just got real in a hurry. Uh, and if the Bombers lose this game, obviously they'd lose the season series to Saskatchewan, and that could come back to be problematic down the road. So hopefully uh, Milt Siegel knows what he's talking about. This is the third start for Chris Streveler. Are you seeing what you need to see in him in terms of growth, game over games, heading into this one? Well, um, I'm seeing uh, a tough, gritty uh, leader out there as a quarterback. Uh, he'll do anything to secure a win. Um, you know, he, he lays it all on the line. you got to be inspired by that. I, I'm not really uh, jazzed about his... Uh, uh, improvements as a as a pocket passer um i think it's just time to just go with what he knows and and roll with his strengths which is if you're going to throw you're throwing to open up the run as opposed to running to open up the the pass it's uh it's just one of those things where he doesn't look comfortable or natural staying in the pocket, going through his progressions, going through his reads, and throwing the ball consistently. I think you're losing, uh, you're going to lose a game if you have to have him throw, say, 30 times or more in a football contest. So I think you just play to his strengths at this point, right? Nobody knows how much longer uh, Matt Nichols is going to be out, and uh, the wins are, are critical right now at this, at this point, especially with this game. So I think you just you try to play off his uh, skill set and enhance what he is very good at, and that is a physical, pounding, uh, running style football attack. So I think you go with that game plan. We discussed uh, how well Joggy, Johnny Augustine played uh, last week against Saskatchewan. It looks as though the Bombers could be without Nick Dembski, could be without Lucky Whitehead. This whole idea of next man up, People that follow football closely know what that means. People who are on the periphery might not understand necessarily what it means. It's fairly obvious, but the Bombers seem to be able to implement that that strategy and have someone lined up to fill in almost at every position. Yeah, I mean, that was that was certainly their, their mantra. I'm not sure if it was last year or the year before, but they had a rash of injury concerns and... Uh, you know, it didn't. It was funny. We were we kept counting them out on a week by week basis, but the fill-ins were just fantastic, and, and that's what it's about. Next man up is just the theory that you know your depth is very sound, your depth is prepared on your football team. So when there is an injury, that player comes in, and it's a seamless transition. And uh, Winnipeg has done that better than most clubs in terms of been able to uh, have a, a player come off the bench or someone that's not actively starting or, or super experienced and just make a smooth and, and seamless transition and, and execute at the level that they're accustomed to. They've been very good at that, but it sounds like they're going to be tested to a degree that is uh, getting pretty ridiculous now if, if a lot of these players are out in conjunction with Nichols and Harris this weekend. Doug Brown, thank you very much, sir. All right, guys, have a great morning. Enjoy your pumpkin spice. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I will, will not. I've got something I, I got to get, just, I have to get it off my chest. I can't handle it anymore. I've recently undergone a major change in my life that I wanted to tell you about. I've mentioned this week that I've moved out of St. Boniface and into Osborne Village. People have, some of you have been asking me on social media, what's going on? Why did you move out? Didn't you just move in with your girlfriend back in March? Yes, I did. So I 
wanted to explain, and I, I the main one of the main reasons why I wanted to do this, guys, is I want to start by publicly thanking you, Greg Mackling, and you, Loren McNabb, for putting up with me for the last month and a bit. You've been carrying me for a month, and I also feel like I owe you, the CJOB family, an apology, because Greg, I think you coined the term, was it the vacuum of truth or the vortex of truth? The vacuum of honesty, whatever you want to call this microphone that we're so privileged to sit behind every single morning. Yeah, these microphones are like auric vacuums. They just kind of suck the truth out of us. And uh, I've alluded to what's going on in my life, but I haven't directly stated it. So I kind of feel like I've been hiding something from you. And I, I know some of you might not give a rip what's going on in my personal life. Just give me the facts, man. But for others, I know you do care. I mean, that's why I developed a love for radio, because it's not just a voice coming out of the box. The voice is from a real person right here in Winnipeg, a person whom you come to know. And I've always tried to be transparent and honest with you. You know, I've talked this week about how I need a new couch, talked briefly about how I moved, didn't go into any major details as to why. And... While I will continue to avoid major details, I will tell you that on August 1st, uh, which was, by the way, my mom, my late mom's birthday, so that was a tough go, my girlfriend of a year and a half broke up with me. We were supposed to go to Alberta to see her family the next day. Cole's notes, she came to the decision it was time for her to walk away because she's not in the right headspace to be in a relationship. And I, again, I'm not getting into those specifics out of respect for her because it wasn't a nasty breakup and we are trying to remain amicable. And I'm trying to show some empathy here. But in spite of being amicable, one of us had to move out. So I decided it should be me, even though I just moved on March 1st. Moving is such a pain twice in a year. I'm going to die in Osborne Village because I am never moving again. So I've been a complete disaster for the last month. I've been staying with my dad in Transcona since August 17th. And uh, you two have had to carry my carcass around here like a sack of potatoes, you know, because I've tried to put on a, as brave a face as I can. And it's really only in the last couple of days that it's started to get easier, uh, partly because many of my friends have rallied around me, and some new friends here at work have rallied around me too to let me know how much they care. So for that, I am grateful, because sometimes you don't know. Uh, I mean, especially with my resting Brett face, I always just assume everyone thinks that I hate everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, McNabb is agreeing. It's uh, like the splash zone at SeaWorld. Yeah. <laughs> don't get too close to Brett. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to get wet or other. <laughs> yeah. But uh, as it turns out, people do know that even though I look grumpy, I'm actually not grumpy. And in this situation, I kind of want to be angry, but but at the same time, I don't want to be angry because I was just watching Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines the other day. And there's a scene in that movie where I cannot believe you're bringing this back to Terminator. I, I know. Right hey, count on the couch potatoes to, to make a movie tie in where Arnold Schwarzenegger says anger is more useful than despair. And I am keenly aware of that. But anger takes a toll on the soul. And quite frankly, it also just takes a lot of energy. So I don't want to waste my energy on anger. I would rather stay on the high road, especially because while, of course, I'm sad, I do respect her decision. So I'm not telling you this because I want you to feel sorry for me. I'm telling you this because I want to be honest with you. And so you know that if you're going through something crappy, you're not alone. Because a lot of times when we share our personal experiences, our listeners will flood our text line and say, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. Thank you for sharing. Thankfully, I've got my new place. Got it last Friday. Moved on Sunday. Move was super quick. Thanks to my friends for helping out. It was done in like two hours. Not even an hour and a half. 
Uh, I've still been staying with my dad this week, but I think I'm going to head over there today or tomorrow to stay and set up shop. Because now I have something to focus my energy on to build myself a new home in an area that I love. So again, thank you, Mackling and McNabb, for carrying me around the last month. It was the worst month of my life. And thank you, our listeners, to those who have figured it out for showing me the support that you've shown. Uh, We aren't just here to give you information. We're here. I like to think we're here to make a connection with you. We're your friends. We're your companions. We want to give you the information you need, of course, but we'd like to have fun with you and make you laugh like any friend would. So when you reach out to me and say, hey, man, sorry to hear this, it really does mean a lot. But in the meantime, I've got the Banjo Bowl tomorrow. I'm excited for that. And then I'm going to see Sugar Sammy over at Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club. He was, by the way, if you missed that conversation, oh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast for the start or go to CJOB.com for the audio vault. We talked to him at 935. Just a fascinating guy Big from time. Montreal. He's toured the world. He performs in four different languages. So I'm going to enjoy that show on Saturday. I'm going golf. Golfing on Sunday, there's always a bright side. There's always something to look forward to. Sometimes it's just hard to remember that. And hey, I'm single now in Osborne Village. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I see the motive Uh, here. uh, Start the clock now on the advertisement. We'll have to bill him for this part of the the soliloquy. (laughs) So great of you to share your story. Who hasn't had their heart broken before and tried to get through everyday things in life? But now, here it is. This is what I I was like, where's this going? This is what we came for. Uh Okay, just to, hey, by the way. Can we get some vital statistics, Brett? (laughs) (laughs) So, hey, one day, hopefully soon, I'll see that as a good thing. That Safeway, remember in those uptown polls, it was always seen as the best place in the city to pick people up? Good point. So maybe, who knows, one day when I'm reaching for a box of chocolate frosted flakes. Or pumpkin spice Cheerios. <laughs> oh my God. Are you Brett McGarry? Better start practicing that voice, Brett. Are you Cancun? I would like the chocolate frosted flakes, please. It's Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Oh, Fortier, this is the song I got a speeding ticket to, isn't it? Uh, yes. Are you trying to... <laughs> you liked it so much that you got a ticket to it. I did, yeah. He's just trying to rub some salt in the wound here. <laughs> That's a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In our discussions about meth this week and the impact it's having on crime, we received a listener text asking, what about the families? What is this drug and other drugs doing to families of people struggling with addiction and more specifically, Loren, their children? Last fall, numbers shared with CJOB and Global News showed babies being born with symptoms of drug addiction and withdrawal were on the rise. So this morning, we went back to the WRHA to ask if that trend is showing any signs of slowing down. Here's what we've learned. In 2012, there were 67 babies born in Winnipeg with what's known as neonatal abstinence syndrome. By the end of last year, that number had jumped to 82, about a 20% increase. The good news for this year, if we can call it that, is that health officials are forecasting a slight drop in the number of newborns with symptoms of drug addiction and withdrawal. But only if the trends hold, and that drop will only be slight, from 82 babies to 79. So that's still well over one newborn a week with some sort of drug-related withdrawal. Dr. Joss Reimer is with the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority and joins us now to explain further. Good morning, Dr. Reimer. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, when we first started reporting on these numbers last year, the link that was instantly made by some people within the health profession, I know the nurses union talked about it, was that the rise in drug issues in newborns was made sense to them because of the rise in meth use. But is meth really to blame for what we're seeing in this specific category here? I'm glad you asked that question because I think it's a really easy thing to get mixed up if you aren't uh, trained in the medical field and working in this area specifically. Uh, Despite all of the issues that we are seeing related to meth, infants being born with withdrawal symptoms is not one of them. Uh, Unlike things like um, morphine or heroin, uh, babies who are born to mums who are using meth don't experience the withdrawal symptoms that we've seen. And so there's not that same sort of urgent care that's required for that specific issue. So fentanyl then, these are related to fentanyl being a big problem. We talked about that years ago and then sort of moved away from it because of the surge in meth, but is fentanyl still the major player here? We're certainly worried about fentanyl. When the babies are having symptoms, there's no way for us to know what opioid it was that are causing the withdrawal symptoms. So it could be heroin, it could be fentanyl, it could be codeine. Um, But we do know that fentanyl is still present in Manitoba. And we know that it's still causing problems and that our overdose rates really haven't gone down all that much. So fentanyl is still in the picture. But when we're talking about babies specifically, I can't give you an exact number because the symptoms could come from any of those drugs in that category. Now, Dr. Reimer, what about FAS and fetal alcohol syndrome? Loren did a tremendous series of stories a few uh, months ago that uh, alcohol, for all the attention that these uh, illicit drugs get in our community, alcohol is still the number one problem for police? Is it still the number one problem for babies that are born with, quote unquote, an addiction or born uh, with some sort of issue attached to their mother's uh, ingestion of something they shouldn't be when pregnant? I think when we look at all of the, the substances that people use, alcohol is still causing the most harm in almost every category. When we look at babies as well, alcohol is still our number one concern because the things that the children can experience are lifelong. So we know that alcohol can cause uh, difficulty with brain development, and so they can experience intellectual disabilities as well as mental health problems, um, problems with decision-making and impulse control. So there's lifelong concerns that we have when we're talking about alcohol. So I'm actually more worried about alcohol as far as infants and children growing up than I am about crystal meth. And so what's the takeaway from this as we listen to these numbers? And it's hard, you know, you see those posters out there that urge um, mothers to not consume alcohol while drinking. And then you think about the fact that there might be some trying meth or doing meth or trying fentanyl. You're left, you know, it kind of boggles the mind and yet it happens. And so what should our takeaway be in this conversation? I think there's a few different takeaways. I think the first one is that we often ignore alcohol and feel that because it's legal and available that it's less harmful. And in truth, alcohol in, like I said, almost every way is more harmful than most other drugs. And it's something that we need to be working on consistently. And I think the second message is one of harm reduction because there's a lot of reasons people use drugs and we've been trying to stop people from using them for a hundred years and haven't been successful And so while people are using drugs, I want them to stay as safe as possible, particularly if they're pregnant. So if people are pregnant uh, and using any sort of psychoactive substance, 
I really encourage you to get prenatal care, especially from a trustworthy program like the Mothering Project at Mount Carmel Clinic. Because when, Doc, oh, go ahead, when it comes to something like meth, for example, it's it, while you said there might not be withdrawal symptoms, there could be other things that you might be worried about, the harm that might come to a mother in a meth-induced psychosis or sexually transmitted infections, which could lead to syphilis in newborns. Absolutely. And if people are injecting meth, then we worry about all of the infections that you can get through sharing needles, for example. Um, So another thing that would be really important if people are using meth would be to make sure you're accessing sterile needles through uh, the Street Connections program or anyone else's distributing free needles. All right. Dr. Joss Reimer with the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority joining us live on 680 CJOB. Dr. Reimer, thank you very much for the time. Thank you very much for having me. Question of the day at cjob.com. Brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. We just posted the new question at cjob.com. What's your prediction for Saturday's Banjo Bowl? Bombers win big, bombers win in a nail-biter, bombers lose in a nail-biter, or let's just not talk about it. Cast your vote at cjob.com. We do want to talk about it, though, right now with the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Bob Irving, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Where is that coming from? Bob's playing banjo on his walk this morning. (laughs) He's multitasking. (laughs) Very good, Mr. Irving. Wow. Is that that from Deliverance? I think so, yeah. It sounds like the, uh, the dueling. Dueling banjos, I believe so, yes. Oh, that was a freaky, scary movie. Sure was. Hopefully we don't see a freaky, scary movie <laughs> tomorrow afternoon on field at uh, IGF, Bob. We had Milt Stiegel on yesterday, and I conveyed to him this notion that I'm getting from a lot of people, this confidence heading into tomorrow's game, into tomorrow's game, this idea that the, the Bombers stand a, a really good chance of winning because of how they lost last Sunday, and, and Milt blew his top essentially, with that idea. A loss is a loss, and that's like suggesting I'm going to grow a ponytail tomorrow because all my hair fell out today. Well, I would, first of all, I'd say about Milt, he does like to be a little contrary sometimes, and I certainly, Greg, I agree with you. Uh, all the Bomber defensive players have talked about this week, and, and I visited with some of them yesterday, and you'll hear them on our pregame show. All they've talked about is how Saskatchewan marched the ball down the field in the last three minutes and won the game. And so they are highly motivated to turn things around. Not that the Riders won't be motivated, but I think all of the intangibles are in in the Bombers' corner in this game. The fact that they lost last week, the fact that they'll have their crowd making all kinds of noise, uh, you know, the, the fact that they're fighting for first place. They haven't lost two games in a row all year, and they don't want that to be the case. And so... I just think the Bombers have a little more going for them in some of the intangible areas than the Riders do. What about the idea or the potential of Nick Dembski and or Lucky Whitehead being out of the out of the lineup? We talked to uh, Doug Brown this morning, this next man up scenario and that uh, ability to do so for the Blue Bombers seems to be working out more or less okay, but those are two key cogs. Yeah, they sure are, and I, I don't think uh, Whitehead's going to play, and I don't know about Dembski. I think he's still got a chance to play, but, you know, you're losing two more key players in your offense. You lose the continuity that is there. I don't think you can minimize that sort of thing. Rasheed Bailey would draw in for 
White, and he's been here since training camp. They like him a lot. And uh, Daniel Peterman, the second-year Canadian, would probably play for Dembski if Dembski can't go. But, you know, then you'd be down, what, five starters on offense, including Andrew Harris and your quarterback, Matt Nichols, and Pat Newfeld from the offensive line who hasn't played all year. So, yeah, that wouldn't be good news for the Bombers. I get the next man up thing, and I think it has worked well for them. I heard I heard your conversation with Doug, but I don't know. The more starters you lose, <laughs> the worse it is for you. Let's put it that way. We talked to you Monday, Bob, after that loss in the Labor Day Classic in Regina, and you mentioned just the impact the crowd and the challenge of even hearing when you're on their field if you're Chris Streveler. Does the Winnipeg crowd have the same impact in a Banjo Bowl? I know a lot is made about the noise at our stadium, but when you compare those two games, who has the upper hand in terms of what the crowd can do? Well, I think it's about dead even, Loren, but I know they did a decibel level check here a couple of years ago, and of course Winnipeg proclaimed that it's the loudest crowd in the Canadian Football League. They've reached a higher decibel level than than Saskatchewan did. The Riders would disagree with that. But here's what I think. Cody Fajardo, the quarterback of the Riders, I don't think has ever played in an environment like he'll face tomorrow, and that's having to deal with the noise. You know, he's relatively new as a starter, uh, he's had a terrific year for the Riders so far, but this is going to be a new experience for him. And I know the, uh, the Bombers feel that their crowd will be a big advantage for them tomorrow. Hey, Bob, has the atmosphere during the game changed at all since they switched the Banjo Bowl from Sunday to Saturday? Uh, I don't think it has, Brett. Uh, what's happened with the Banjo Bowl is when they play it now at IG Field as opposed to the old stadium, it's louder, it's noisier, but I don't think much has changed. You know, the the game started in 2004. This will be the 16th edition of it. It'll be, it's not quite sold out yet, but it will be by 3 o'clock tomorrow. A lot of people from Saskatchewan will come over as they always have, and it's a, it's a wonderful football celebration as these two provinces go at it. And uh, both these games, the back-to-back games, the Labor Day one and, and the one tomorrow, are you know two of the most exciting and fun games of the year. So I'm looking at the map of available tickets right now. Interesting you should mention that, Bob. Uh, there are single seats sprinkled throughout the stadium, uh, like pumpkin spice perhaps. Uh, there are four sections, just four sections in the stadium where you can even try and get more than two seats together. So I think uh, about 300 tickets or less are available, at least according to the Ticketmaster website. So uh, I agree with you. This this game may be uh, sold out uh, before uh, tomorrow rolls around. Yeah, the singles are always the toughest ones to sell. The Bombers will tell you that because there aren't many people, you know, who go to a game by themselves and so but they'll sell those before three o'clock tomorrow the weather is going to be great uh you know i can't wait for it this is going to be a just a fabulous atmosphere it's a great atmosphere in regina last weekend i've said that over and over again uh but the one at home is a little more special because it's at home it's here in winnipeg and there's so much on the line now the bombers eight and three the riders seven and three bombers have won eight home games in a row dating back to last year saskatchewan's riding a six game winning streak man you got everything you could possibly want for an early september matchup i gotta ask you real quick before i let you go bianca did you stay up to watch that oh, incredible yeah. piece of artwork last night 
Yeah, it's hard, you know, if you're a sports fan, and I certainly am, and lots of people are, and even if you're not, she's just uh, capturing the imagination of, I think, people across the country. You don't even have to be a tennis fan to enjoy what she's doing, and the enthusiasm and the, and the spirit and the fun she seems to be having, it's contagious. All right, Bob Irving joining us live on 680 CJOB. Pre-game starts at what, 1 o'clock? Starts at 1 o'clock, and, uh, you know, Brett, as I always say, miss it at your own peril. <laughs> Bob Irving, classic. Don't do it, is what I would say. (laughs) Right on, Bob. Thank you very much, sir. Pre-game at 1, kickoff at 3 from IG Field for the Banjo Bowl as the Blue Bombers prepare to lay waste to the Riders. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. You put on a funny-looking headset this week, Loren. Yeah. Okay, so it's a virtual reality headset, and uh, I've only ever really tried that one or two times. I think one of my experiences was in the Canadian Museum for Human Rights has kind of a different version of it, but they have a lot of augmented reality or things that help you immerse yourself in an experience. But what I was doing this week was in response to a story Hal Anderson shared with us earlier was about how United States schools are increasingly using virtual reality to help take their kids on field trips without ever leaving the classroom. And that had us wondering if that's happening here. So we went looking and learned that this fall, a first of its kind virtual reality program is being pioneered out of the Pemina Trails School Division in Winnipeg. So it's all part of those new STEM labs you might have been hearing about. They've been created in several schools in Manitoba, and the focus is on science, technology, engineering, and math. That's what STEM stands for. In Pemina Trails, three schools, as we speak, were are testing virtual reality, or VR. So that's kids putting on those headsets where you have the wraparound display screen and it immerses you into a 3D experience. Uh, and as I learned, it's, it's super real, to the point where when I was trying it, I was left on the top of a 25th floor while standing on the bottom floor of the Pepina Trails School Division office and was encouraged to jump off. Go ahead and jump and see what it feels like if you jump off this plank. And I didn't want to do it. It took me a full minute and a half before I had the courage to step to my left. Wow. <laughs> so the goal <laughs> is clear. They want to transport students and help them learn, and they hope it works. I'm standing on firm ground. I've put the headset on, I'm holding the handsets, and now I'm staring into what would obviously be sort of your, oh my gosh, never mind, now I'm in the ocean. (laughs) And there's a full fish in front of me. But feeling like I'm underwater. Yeah, there you go. Oh, man. So you've met Eddie the whale. This is (laughs) the whale. Is this a blue whale? Yes. That's the world of virtual reality, and it's a world Pemina Trail School Division is trying to bring to its students. Um, you can travel through the bloodstream, you can do 3D modeling, um, we can go on trips to different places around the world in different environments. Zero, and liftoff of the Atlas V with curiosity. There's a lot of Mars content where you can actually you know, drive the rover around and take a look at what the atmosphere would look like, and you're actually picking up samples and running scans and things like that. So David Gamble is the technology education consultant with Pemina Trails. And this week, he's working to launch a pilot program that will bring virtual reality 
or VR, to three different schools in the division. So it knows when you turn your head, your screen reacts in real time. Um, it has a microphone As he shows me the headset, goggles that provide an immersive 3D experience, and then the joysticks that help walk one through it, he explains how he believes it could make a major difference. Our students now are growing up with the iPad in their hand, with, their, with you know, the cell phone in their pocket. Um, they know that they can Google something or just go to YouTube and find information. You need to offer an experience that shows them education's value. So we need to show you how we can use what you're learning, and we need to show you it in a way that you're going to engage with and that you're going to actually learn from and pay attention to. There are plenty of ways to have fun with VR. The joystick is the extension of your hand, so you actually push the button. As I slip on the headset a second time, I'm transported inside an elevator. It takes me to the 25th floor of some building in some city, where there is a plank outside that elevator, and then... And if you want, you can jump off. No! If you choose to, you can. I know it's not real, but even as I take the plunge, I'm nervous. Oh! Yeah! Yeah! That's how good the technology has become in recent years, although it isn't cheap. Each virtual reality set, including a specialized computer, is about $4,400. Each of the three schools in the pilot project in Pemina Trails have been given at least two sets. We're trying not to add technology for the sake of adding technology. We're doing it where we're going to benefit our learners and get the most bang for our buck. Involving the entire classroom, Each VR set comes with the ability to put what the user is seeing. Welcome to the roller coaster that is your circulatory system. Like this journey inside the human body, onto a big screen, so the entire class can be a part of it. Gamble says he sees all sorts of possibilities for the grades 5 to 8 students who've been chosen to first start testing and then using VR in the classroom later this fall things like uh, experience what it is to be like a a child refugee, um, experience homelessness. um, So you have to make decisions, you know, do you eat or do you find shelter? Things like that. So this goes way beyond what we initially thought it was going to do. Super cool because if you think about just the very basic there, so each of those headsets were $4,400 and then that includes the software and the computer. Overall, the investment's about $75,000 in these three STEM labs that's going to include other technology. But his point was great. Like this YouTube generation that can access videos at any time, Google anything at any time, teaching them and teaching us even a better way to learn is is key. And so the VR is incredible in the sense of how it transports you places. Well, one of the most powerful lessons a lot of folks had back in the day in school was the one where you had to carry the egg around right. for a couple of weeks or the baby in the in the different uh, different classes over the years and had to actually look after it, change its diaper, answer to it in the middle of the night. This is just, in my mind, the next step of that, allowing us to go further geographically. And that's the macro and then the micro getting inside the body places that we couldn't go you, you go there only hypothetically and now we're going there as close to literally as we can i think it's brilliant and i think it's a very smart investment to uh, do everything we can to get kids invested interested at that next level mm. and it, i think it won't replace school trips per no. se but most schools can't afford to take their kids to paris to the louvre or you know to major museums so this might be a way to do it you might be able to see mona lisa at least in virtual reality is most it, people say it's a big letdown anyway it, it, can i say yes it is it is the biggest letdown of my life <laughs> Thank you.
Now we want to talk about the power of a dollar. I think uh, a lot of us uh, over the last uh, few years have seen the penny disappear and and wonder uh, why we ever had them in the first place. Well, there was a time when you could buy things for a penny, a nickel, a dime, a quarter, all those uh Bits of, of spare change, I think at some point we've all wondered, boy, wouldn't it be nice to be able to go to a movie or or do something with those smaller amounts of money? And now we don't even have dollar bills anymore. Yes, I'm that old. <laughs> We're talking about uh, power, the power of a dollar and how it can all add up to some very powerful things. The vision, uh, according to the website, is to create the biggest rise in community engagement by unifying the 1.35 million people of Manitoba by 2025 through love and acts of kindness. Joining us in studio to talk about this from Kids Initiative, Kat Ross. Good morning, Kat. Always great to see you. Good morning. Nice to see you, too. And joining us by telephone, Tim Hag, U-Turn Parkinson. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. Good morning. Pleasure to be with you. Well, it's always great to talk to you as well, Tim. You came up in our discussion with Larry Gifford earlier this week about his podcast, Living with Parkinson's, which, of course, you do. And you spend so much time now not only talking about awareness, but encouraging people to to think about where uh, their philanthropy and their philanthropic dollars can go. Encourage them to think about Parkinson. Tell us about U-Turn Parkinson. Well, first of all, Larry Gifford's a great guy. I recently met him, and uh, what a pleasure it is to know him as a friend. The U-Turn Parkinson's, we are a Parkinson's wellness center whose mission is to help people living with Parkinson's in their pursuit of wellness. Uh, we see Parkinson's as something we can live with. It's a horrible disease. It's got so many bad things attached to it. But we see a very clear path of how, how we can help ourselves and how we can help one another live our best with it. And that is through exercise and a holistic approach to wellness. And Kat, why don't you tell us about Kids Initiative? Um, well, Kids Initiative focuses on finding sustainable solutions in our programs abroad. So um, currently we have programs hosted in Kenya and we work towards finding um, or engaging the community in fundraising locally in order to be able to um, provide those sustainable solutions in our programs. What do you mean by that, sustainable solutions? Some examples. Um, we typically look at income generating projects. So for an example, one of the programs that we had done is an agriculture and food security project. So providing the land, the seed, the fertilizer, everything needed and lining our communities up with a co-op to be able to actually purchase their harvests. Hmm. So the idea of this power of a dollar, Tim, just uh, making us realize that the just Everybody banding together, reaching into a pocket and uh, pulling out a loony or a toonie can go a long way. Is that a fair summation? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, but back to the penny you know, analogy that you were giving earlier. Nowadays, a buck isn't a whole lot in our pocket. But it can make a huge difference to these four charities that are being supported. If everyone in Manitoba were to give a dollar, a single dollar, that would radically affect each of these four charities and what we're able to do for people. For U-Turn Parkinson's, it would mean that there are tons of people who are on fixed incomes, who can't afford lots of programming, could come to our programming. They would walk better. They would talk better. They would stay out of hospital. At least that's our goal. It would provide them the opportunities to have much healthier, well lives because of being able to access our programs. 
Let's talk a bit about that, Tim, because you mentioned just the the resources and the issue people might have in accessing programs because of money. And we always like to think, you know, we have this healthcare system that provides all those things for free, but that's not the case. So what kind of things could they get through U-Turn that they might not get otherwise? So the things that we do that are significantly important are things like rock steady boxing. You can think of it as a, an exercise inspired boxing, a boxing inspired exercise program. We have physiotherapists, kinesiologists who work with us, and you can put it in the concept of physiotherapy for people. It's giving them that activity, the exercise that they need to stay mobile, to stay well, to be able to to walk. Um, For me, it makes a huge difference with my Parkinson's and just being able to get out of bed every morning. Uh, Parkinson's has a huge impact on people's uh, ability to move. You see us move too much but it goes to that other extreme where we can't move at all. So we see people come in to us using their walkers, having to have someone stand by their side regularly as they go through their workout to six months later being able to go through the workout on their own. So you extrapolate that and take it forward to how that might impact their ability to stay out of hospital, reduce medications. We hope that it has a significant effect on all of those kind of things. Now, Kat, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Tim. But keeping in mind that a lot of these folks are on limited incomes, uh, you know, and fixed incomes, because this is typically an older person's disease. So we we need that help in raising the funds. Now, Kat, I'm looking at the list of businesses who have signed on here as uh, where you can go make a donation before September 10th. 60 businesses involved with these coin boxes. When you see that kind of a support or level of support uh, from the community, what's what was the reaction when you saw how many people had signed up to help out? It's huge, especially considering this is the first year for this campaign. Um, so being able to actually see so many local community or local um, businesses jump on board immediately was really um, heartwarming, I guess, uh, that they would just look at the overall goal and the mission for the campaign and truly buy into it, understanding that it's combining our efforts and looking at kind of easing a little bit of that burden that each charity faces when it comes to fundraising locally and alleviating um, that sense of competition between one another and really bringing us together to be able to work together. I was going to say, like it or not, it's all for a common good. But you're, you're in competition for dollars at the end of the day, and there's only so many to go around. Absolutely. And as a charity, it's it's very similar to a business. You are in competition. You're always looking for um, that same shared dollar. And so when you have this type of campaign that's really providing you with the platform to be able to come together and join um, efforts and really work towards the greater goal, we're all benefiting in the end. And so it's really nice to be able to work with one another. And Tim mentioned the fact that there are four organizations benefiting from this initiative, U-Turn Parkinson's, Kids Initiative, and also the Heart and Stroke Foundation, and then an organization you might not have ever heard of, Snowflake Place, and they say they're a safe place for children and youth to tell. And so there is that benefit, right, Kat, of maybe your organization just gaining traction. You've done so much work over the last half decade or so to build a name, Snowflake Place, combined with two very well-known organizations who do things that people may be a little bit more aware of. 
Yeah, absolutely. It definitely helps. I mean, um, we live in a world that's all about social media now. And so um, the social media support behind this and being able to have some of those larger names, like you said, the larger um, charities that have um, greater platforms or greater support networks, it it definitely helps for the smaller charities. And so being able to work um, together with one another and and receive that same level of um, or portion of proceeds at the end of this campaign is huge for us. Um, I can speak personally about Kids Initiative that one dollar goes to support or to provide four liters of safe, clean drinking water to someone in our programs. That's huge. Um, and we're currently working at implementing a borehole in one of our refugee camps. So with thousands of dollars, we can actually attain that goal. And that allows us to be fully sustainable there. So coming up then on September 10th, you there are many ways to donate $1 on September 10th. All four charities will be at a designated location to collect donations from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Over 100 businesses will also be carrying coin boxes. And you can donate online at imloveproject.ca, but you can only donate online on September 10th. And in the meantime, there are still 60 businesses on board with coin boxes if you want to drop off a buck before that. Kat Ross from Kids Initiative and Tim Haig from U-Turn Parkinson, thank you so much for joining us today to tell us about this. What happened last night that has the sports world in this country fired up? Well, let's just call it an historic night at the United States Open Tennis Tournament in Flushing, New York. Flooding my Twitter timeline and depriving me of sleep is what it was doing. Canada's Bianca Andrescu is on to the U.S. Open final. The 19-year-old from Mississauga, Ontario, continued her impressive season with a 7-6-7-5 win over Switzerland's Belinda Bensick to advance to the Grand Slam Tournament's final. Andrescu will face familiar foe in 37-year-old legend Serena Williams. As you may recall, the two played in last month's Rogers Cup final where Williams had to retire in the final after only four games due to back spasms. Andrescu says that she believes it's hard work that has put her in this spot, which sees her in the U.S. Open finals. So, oh, one second here. I'm sorry. There's a clip. I will play the clip. From qualifying last year, losing, to being in the finals in your first main draw. How has this happened? Don't ask me that because I wouldn't know what to say. I think it's just all the hard work that I've been putting throughout the years. If someone told me a year ago that I'd be in the finals of the US Open this year, I'd tell them you're crazy. I would have told him the same thing. I don't think I'd heard of you almost a year ago. Executive Director of Tennis Manitoba, Mark Arndt, joins us now to talk about this historic accomplishment and and the implications for tennis overall in Canada. Mark, before we go any further, uh, 12 months ago, had you heard of Bianca Andreescu? Well, actually, coincidentally, she was playing a tournament here in Winnipeg um, back in July. And I had a chance to talk to her. And, uh, yeah, at the time, I'm sitting beside her. And there's no way would I think that, you know, a year and a bit from now that she's going to be playing in the final of the uh, U.S. Open. And equally, she probably didn't think that either. 
So what's happened in the last year that you could be sitting beside her and know that she's good, but not that good yet? What, what's taken place in her career that's allowed her to get where she is and, and go where she's going? Yeah, you know, a huge shift in her life was uh, she was living in Toronto and uh, she moved to the uh, to the training center in Montreal. Just uh, the coaches strategically took her away from Toronto, from her from her home, from you know comfortable surroundings, and placed her at the training center in Montreal for Tennis Canada. And uh, I mean, you know, it just forced her to grow up a little bit in accountability and and you know and work harder. I mean, around home. You've got more time to go and, you know, not train as hard. So this way they thought maybe if she's away from home and more focused and all that, it's going to change her mindset and her routine regime and all that. So, And I, that's that's exactly what happened. I mean, it was a great call by the uh, national team coaches, and they saw the potential in her, and uh, it's worked wonders. Like, I, I, it's unbelievable. That quick of a, of a rise in, in, in her uh, ranking and all that, I mean, she's going to be top 10 after this after this week. So... So going from about 180 a year ago or so and into top 10 now, it's unbelievable. Canadian tennis players, we've had some great ones over the years, but often they, they show signs of greatness and they just can't seem to get over that get over that hump. Uh, is this, does this person have what it takes to stay and continue to grow? She does. I mean, her mindset, uh, I keep saying between the years, I mean, she's so mentally tough and she's got the game too. She's got the variety in her game, whereas others before her, I think they were just one dimensional players and, and, um, you know, the variety wasn't there. And this one has, has every shot. Like it's unbelievable. And she's still, she's so young and she's going to get fitter. She will uh, become a, a veteran of the tour, and, and there's just amazing things waiting for her. And, and not just me saying I'm biased, obviously, I want to see that happen. But um, when you've got like the top uh, analysts in the world talking about her that way and, and predicting that she's going to be a multiple slam wonder, she's not, not just going to be a one-hit wonder here. She's, she's here to stay, and unless you know an injury happens, I, I can't see her going away anytime soon. Is this an endorsement uh, overall of what Tennis Canada has been doing over the last Last decade or two, Mark, to encourage young people to get involved in the sport. A lot, I think, a lot of people has seen have seen tennis in the past as as elitist to a certain extent. Yeah, you know, and that's a strategy, and that's a great question. But about fifteen years ago, uh, they completely uh, changed the changed their mindset of how they went about uh, promoting tennis and all that. And and so Tennis Canada went on you know, just basically said, listen, we have to make this a non-elite sport and try to break down those walls and, and that perception of, okay, it's a white-collar sport and only people with money can play it. I mean, honestly, a tennis racket, a brand new one for kids, costs $15. A can of balls costs $3. And, and the public courts, especially here in Winnipeg, I mean, you've got so many great public courts uh, that are properly surfaced, not just the asphalt, the crumbling asphalt with the chain-link fence nets. But, um, you know, there's been a lot of money that's been invested in, in uh, tennis courts and facilities and things like that and and it starts with tennis canada i mean they they knew they had to change what they were doing because they weren't producing i mean in 100 years 110 years of tennis canada's existence i mean how many players you can name on one hand that have been successful and with the again the trailblazers here for me were uh were milos raonic and, and eugenie bouchard they did well but these uh these kids that are coming up right now they're going to take it to that next level so have we moved past the time where tennis fans or tennis players outside Canada would say Canada like with an exclamation point or question mark but every time a Canadian would end up in a final it used to be sort of huh and now are we at the state where people look to us and say nope they're actually really starting to produce consistent talent 
Yeah, and that's again another great question because coincidentally, uh, countries like Japan and Korea and all that are phoning Tennis Canada and asking, you know, for the blueprint. What are we doing here in, in Canada? And, and you've got other countries that are calling us and, and calling us the superpower too of, of, of tennis. I mean, we just qualified for the Davis Cup Finals in in uh, Madrid. The, that's coming up in November. So our our men's team is is going to be representing, uh, I think, very well. They have a great chance of winning the Davis Cup. And if you're in the final eight of, of Davis Cup, uh, final eight countries, I mean, you are doing something great. And, and yeah, it's no wonder that, that the, the other countries are calling us and asking, what the heck are you guys doing up there in Canada? Well, Mark, uh, my boys uh, did a tennis camp last summer and really enjoyed it. What would you say to parents, you know, outside of the uh, allure, perhaps, of million-dollar purses and uh, Grand Slam victories, uh, why, why why should parents uh, consider tennis as as one of uh, the sports in the stable for their kids to participate in? Yeah, you know what? Number one, it's a safe sport. I, I mean, I'm not going to compare it to other sports, but there's no concussions. There's no hitting. It's a safe sport. You can do it on your own time. You can schedule it when you want. You don't need a whole team to... To you know, to get on a on a practice schedule, a weekly practice schedule, you can do it anytime you want, however you want, practice as long as you want. So, and and that's great. I mean, parents are busy, families are busy, families are busy nowadays. Nowadays, and uh, you can do it anytime, and and that's the beauty of it. And uh, and again, the the cost of it is is not what it used to be. It is much cheaper now, and uh, uh, it's a fun sport. You can play it from three to ninety three. I keep saying, and and again. Uh, the injuries are minimal. And then here's another question about, you know, kids learning tennis. Uh, would it, I, I would assume that it would help kids develop focus because tennis, I think I've heard, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't tennis one of the hardest, if not the hardest in terms of like you have to have that perfect technique every time or, the, or you're going to hit the ball wrong? Yeah, no, because I mean, with the with the rackets, with the equipment nowadays, it, it they are forgiving. Uh, so it's a it's a larger racket. The frames, the technology in the, in the racket frames, it allows you to uh, to make mistakes. So it doesn't have to be perfect. Where back in the day, back in the seventies and sixties, the rackets were so small. So there, you had to be perfect to, to hit in such a small uh, such a small area. Now, not so much. And and again, it, it's one of those things. Uh, it doesn't have to be a perfect technique. And I mean, you see many of these pros too. You see them miss hit shots, but the shots still go in so uh, it's just like anything with practice with repetition you do get good at it and it's a very rewarding sport because once you get going and it's quite easy to to start it up and get rallies going and and the fitness component i mean it keeps you fit i mean go out there and play for three hours when it's plus 30 out on the court and uh you see how how fit you get quickly and uh and that's a great thing that it's such a lifetime sport and uh can enjoy it with friends and it's a great sport and all that so yeah it's it's it's, it's a fun sport where will you be watching uh tomorrow afternoon Ooh, i'm gonna be watching at home uh, without any interruptions uh, i just want to focus on it and i mean this is such a right now it's up until now it's been a rare event to have a canadian uh, in, in a final but uh, i think we can get used to this because it's not going to be the last time it's going to happen but yeah i'll be i'll be at home uh, surrounded with my kids and, and family and all that watching and, and cheering her on all right, Mark Arndt, Executive Director of Tennis Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CJOB, talking about Canada's Bianca and Drescu. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.